We're doing villains now, I'm Dracula. Villains. Dracula. And welcome to Pass the Golden Popcorn, an MTV Movie Awards podcast where we look at all the films nominated for MTV Movie Awards in various categories and try and figure out who really should have won. I'm Kenny Sage, a foremost movie expert. And I'm Ben Grigg, a foremost villainy expert. Mwahaha. And today <laughs> we're here to talk about Best Villain 2004. How are you, Ben? I'm doing really, really well. Um, <coughs> ooh. Oh, sorry. I have a lot of, I, uh, I didn't, I, I think I told you that, um, the lunch I brought to work today was like spoiled or just bad. Um, so I, I hadn't, I haven't eaten all day until I got home and I've just, I've scarfed a lot back. So my, my throat's all, all, uh, not super, super clear right now. So I'm drinking water. But other than that, I am doing just dandy. How are you? I'm doing well. The only thing I'm hungry for is movie discussion. And we got an interesting one this week. Yeah, this week was definitely like very interesting. I have, I, um, I don't know if I said it on episode, um, but I, I definitely have seen the first Pirates of the Caribbean before. Watching it this time, I was like, oh yeah, this is like a movie that like teachers throw on in class sometimes over like lunch or something. Yeah. I don't remember if that was on Mike. I don't think so, because the last one we recorded is 2002, so I don't know why we'd have been talking about it then, but, like, on, on yeah. air, but, yeah, it was a thing where you're like, I've seen one of these, I'm not sure which one, but. Yeah, it might have been, uh, it might have been our talk about, um, of, uh, Sleepy Hollow, just because Johnny Depp's in both. Oh, yeah. That might have been what we talked about, but regardless, I have, I've definitely seen the first one. Um, I've seen like more than the first one actually, because um, there were parts in this movie where I'm like, wait, where's the where's the mermaid part? Where's uh, where's Davy Jones? And I'm like, oh, those must be in the sequels. Yeah, Davy Jones. We're going to talk about in 2007, um, and then I think the mermaids are in that one. Maybe like it's we'll see. But yeah, I, I like I, I've I've definitely seen more Pirates of the Caribbean than I thought. Um, I'm always. I always thought there is there four or three. There are five. Um, there are five. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I've only thought. seen the three kind of Gore Verbinski ones. As we'll get into it, the the good ones, as I I call them. Like, I mean, maybe four and five have their f- friends fans. I think five brought Orlando Bloom back, but also by five. Like I'm like I don't know if I can watch Johnny new Johnny Depp movies anymore. Um, yeah, you you need um you need a new uh, movie franchise based off a of Disneyland ride, and then just in luck, Jungle Cruise came along. Yeah, that's me, <laughs> the big 
I did. Did I talk about how much I enjoyed Jungle Cruise on the podcast? <laughs> I don't think you did on the podcast, but I, I definitely know. It might have been a does. recommendation of the week because I definitely remember. <laughs> like I was all on for Jungle Cruise. Like <laughs> this is good. People need to like come around on this one. Yeah, exactly. Listen, Disney needs to start licensing out the uh, the expanded ride based universe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's get a ride on Guardians of the Galaxy Operation Breakout. <laughs> exactly. Listen, a Guardians of the Galaxy movie? It's risky, but it might just work. Yeah. Um, anyway, so the 2004 MTV Movie Awards were held June 5th, 2004, and were hosted by Lindsay Lohan, who, yeah, I think this is pretty close to when Mean Girls comes out, a movie we will talk a lot about next week. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I haven't seen Mean Girls in so long. Um, it holds up. I will say. Yeah, I think the last and also first time I watched it, um, I think I was uh, I was at like a friend of a friend's house, so it was very. Uh, it felt very. Um, this is not the right word, but it's the right vibe. It felt very liminal, um, just like sitting on a on a, on a like a stranger once removed as couch. Um, but it, I, from what I remember, I really enjoyed it. So I'm glad to revisit it in a, in a more practical setting. Yeah. That's going to be a fun one though. Like, well, I mean, we'll talk about 2005. It's, it's going to be a very fun lineup of movies. And also what I would argue the most inexplicable winner of the entire, like we've had in like a while for the best villain. Um, oh yeah. Just taking a look at it. Like that is that is super strange it's three uh, of the it's three of what i would argue are like three of the best villain performances of the decades one that's like pretty good and then the winner um but well we'll talk about that more later uh in 2004 lord of the rings return of the king won best movie um did not win did not get any more best villain nominations um it's like who do you even nominate the big flaming eye like <laughs> I mean, they could have, but uh, I don't know who you would have cut. Yeah, it's hard to say. Uh, this is the Starsky and Hutch best kiss year. Oh yeah, man i I need to rewatch that movie because I remember really liking it. I remember um, you and trying to who's our guest. We had a uh, Jesse. Jesse, yeah, I remember you two were not super feeling it, uh, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was okay. I didn't yeah. like. Yeah, Jesse was never gonna like Starsky and Hutch. Uh, yeah, I'm like, eh, yeah, this is fine. I, like, I get it now. Joker was set in the '70s as a tribute to Starsky and Hutch. Just <laughs> yeah. it was the same director. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's yeah. kind of weird getting like Starsky and Hutch, and then also the the Charlie's Angel sort of reboot sequel. Um, like they're both kind of have like a very they're both like sort of like they're both reboots i guess that kind of give off the same vibe yeah it's yeah i was not expecting the charlie angel sequel to be so weird just well we'll get into it soon but i was like oh there was maybe more going on here than i was expecting too much arguably but (laughs) um yeah just skimming through some things got some like pretty big wins um oh 
Uh, Johnny Depp wins best male performance. Yeah, take that, Jim Caviezel as Jesus. Just um, yeah. <laughs> Jack Sparrow absolutely dominating Jesus. Yeah, Uma Thurman. Yeah, one. Yeah, for Kill Kill Bill Volume One. Like, uh, yeah, uh, take that, Charlize Theron and Monster. <laughs> um, ooh, actually, those are pretty similar. I think. Similar quality performance. It's what's mm-hmm. as much as the thing, but best female performance this year is also. Hmm. I've always said, can we do straight performance categories, especially because they combine at a point? But films like Gothica, what's Gothica? I don't know, but maybe we'll find out one day. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was skimming it earlier too, and that was that name definitely like uh, kind of uh, sprung out to me too. I definitely yeah. want to give that a watch. Oh, and Lindsay Lohan won Breakthrough Female for Freaky Friday. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, speaking of uh, Freaky Friday, um, oh, what's the name of the the mom in that? Oh, I, the name's on the tip of my tongue. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, she was also in um, the movie I saw recently, uh, Everything, uh, Everywhere, All at Once. Oh yeah, uh, she's great in that. Yeah, she's super good. I can't remember. Did you um did you ever did you recommend that? Was that one of your recommendations? I brought it up. I recommended Ambulance cuz Ambulance was like the one I felt needed it more was Ambulance was a bomb and this one's been sort of picking up steam, but yeah, everything everywhere all at once. Very lovely movie. <laughs> yeah, I I like super great. Um like what a that it, it is definitely the the best multiverse based movie that's uh come out in the long while um yeah i mean the other multiverse based movie i think it's also pretty good but yeah i i think that one's good but i think the definitely the multiverse aspect is is really really good in everything yes um, <laughs> uh, uh. yeah so best Hold on, just looking. Yeah, so best villain this year was presented by Kate Beckinsale and Mark Ruffalo. Um, what were they in uh, together? It's hard to say, but I mean, well, yeah. just gonna see. The BC Boys played. Um, oh yeah, they were one of the they were one of the performers. Same with D twelve, which I I think Eminem's in that. I'm assuming a couple people are in it too. Probably eleven other people. Uh, yeah, D, yeah, C12 is, uh, yeah, famously known for the song My Band, which is, like, about how, yeah, well, well, first it's about how Eminem is, it's a song about how Eminem is obviously the most famous person, and also how they're not really a band, they're, like, a rap group, it's, yeah, it's an interesting one, um, oh, okay, it's, so Kate Beckinsale was probably promoting... Yeah, um, Van, Van Helsing, I was, like, just, yeah, trying to think of movies that came out around that time, or, I guess Van Helsing was, uh, that year. Maybe it was one of the Underworld films. I don't know if Mark Ruffalo ever did an Underworld. It's, but maybe they didn't do something together. It's just always interesting to see, like, it's like, who's presenting, and what were they promoting? Yeah, it's like a little time capsule. Oh, I guess, yeah. Oh, Mark Ruffalo is potentially just promoting Collateral, a movie we'll talk about next week, but... Oh, yeah, I really love Collateral. 
Yeah, oh yeah, right, you have seen that one. Yeah, it's one of the very few. Yeah, it's really good. Um, But, with that, unless we have anything else to, to say, I think we can get into it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, for Best Villain 2004, the nominees are... Andrew Braniarski, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I hope that's right. Maybe it's pretty... We'll see. Uh, Demi Moore, Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle. Jeffrey Rush, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Kiefer Sutherland, Phone Booth. And the winner, Lucy Liu in Kill Bill, Volume 1. Yeah. Lucy Liu pulling a double duty on this list. Yeah, Um, a hero in one of these movies, a villain (laughs) in the other. Um... (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, Kill Bill and the Charlie's Angel movie definitely a very very similar kind of movie um, in terms of they're both kind of pretty funny action movies, but very different deliveries of both of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very different. Hard to hard to compare in any sense. Um, yeah, yeah. This is um, my first time seeing Kill Bill Volume One. Um, have you seen both volumes or just the first one? Yes, I watched Volume One a few years ago, and I remember like going. Well, now obviously I have to see Volume Two, and then I watched that one like pretty shortly after as well. Um, yeah. And so you had seen Volume Two, but you never seen Volume One. You're like, well, I know how it ends. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've I've never seen either. Um, yeah, though I've I've never got around to watching the Kill Bills. Um, I've seen them like parodied to death, so there was a lot of like familiar things I saw. Um, was yeah, this is my first time like actually watching like the movie, and then um, this has happened before, and it happened again. Um, the way that I watched this had no subtitles. Um, even in the parts where they were not speaking English. Um, so there are, there are some chunks of this movie, um, where I had to go completely based off like, uh, like how they were saying it and context clues, but I still feel like I didn't miss anything. Um, well, that's good because yeah. a lot of this movie is of course set in Tokyo, um, yeah, but no, given, like, the the performances, like, I never felt, like, lost about what was happening. Um, like, and, and also, like, near the end of this movie, um, like, the last, like, 20-ish minutes is mostly just, like, fighting <laughs> um, with, with dialogue in English. So, um, so I wasn't, I didn't, uh, I don't think I missed any super important bits unless there's, like, some random line of dialogue during the during the scene where like um where Uma Thurman like got her sword that like was super important to understanding everything else uh yeah no I it's funny because I'm like oh no we missed a bunch of dialogue and I'm like ah it's probably fine like again as you said it's pretty easy to pick up on the plot of this film it's you know it's the most basic plot there is revenge um yeah 
It's a good little vengeance story. Um, yeah, this is, um, yeah, I guess, uh, did you rewatch this one for the podcast or did you, did you already kind of feel like you, you, um, you uh, got no. it? Yeah. Well, no, well, well I rewatched because it had been a couple of years and was tr- trying to remember like what stuff is in this film. Cause it, you know, they're, they're split up and I mean, I know the first, the first film is where most of, or when people go, oh yeah, Kill Bill has like incredible action. It's largely talking about this film because while there's still like action in Volume Two, like just a really cool fight in a trailer and stuff, a lot Volume Two is kind of a lot a, more introspective and talky than you might than you might like expect from this one. But yeah, no, I I, I watched it and yeah, again because. Lucy Liu, like, she's giving me a really good performance in this, and it was also one where I'm like, I mean, even before just kind of for evaluating, I'm like, I just kind of want to see this again, because I remembered the kind of climactic fight being cool, and it was, and yeah, like, definitely a top-tier Tarantino movie for me, I think. Um, Yeah, no, I I super enjoyed this one. Um, I think one of my favorite parts of the movie is, like, the animated part. Um, where you kind of get Lucy Liu's character's, like, backstory. Um, like, that part just looks really, really neat. Yeah, um, you were like, finally, a cartoon! Exactly, I finally got my, my cartoon fix. I like how, like, the first bits, um, are, like, really rough and, like, really sketchy. And then by the end, I think they're using, um, either, like, like, rotoscoped or, like, kind of, like, 3D models, almost, by the end. Um, I'm not sure what the technique is, but like it definitely looks very clean by the end. I don't know. I think it's just really neat. Um, it's just all, yeah, just very visually very cool. I wish more movies would do stuff like that. Um, just have like like um, what's the name for it? Uh, mixed media. Um, like it is just it's always a treat. I never I never am like watching a movie and then they do something like completely like out there and like really unique, and I go, oh man, I wish they would have just had like two characters talking in a bar um like it's it's super duper great yeah no this is this is definitely like a really good movie um in recent years there's been yeah, over kill bill things in general there was a bit of a pall kind of over this filming when it sort of came out that kind of in the process of it and not for anything that happens in this movie but it's worth bringing up but but Uma Thurman actually got injured kind of in a car crash during a driving scene where she felt uncomfortable driving and wanted a stunt driver to do it. And But Tarantino assured her everything was safe. Then she lost control of the car and kind of hit a tree and then sort of had a concussion and knee damage. And it was something that, like, I think because, you know, Uma Thurman and, like, Quentin Tarantino worked so closely together for so long and this kind of, like, brought the the end sort of the end of that there, and it's definitely something where Tarantino definitely could, like, handle the situation better, so it's always something we have to keep in mind. Oh, right, sometimes, like, the production of great movies, like, is not always so good, but even still, I do love this movie, and it, I think Thurman's, like, really, really good in it. Just... Oh, yeah, no, I... I, there's definitely, like, a... Um, 
there's definitely like I want to say like a sort of a trope of having this sort of like revenge based story where like the protagonist is like very um uh what's the right word uh like stoic to a fault but like Uma Thurman is like incredibly like um like varied um and also just like a very fun person to like follow around and like a really good narrator too um like it's i really especially like the um the sort of like hospital escape part as well oh, oh yeah the the hospital escape part is really good that's, that's why i'm like i, I want to say how this film that isn't just oh it's really good but like this really is just of the you know definitely like we cover a cut two movies this week that i think are just kind of incredibly entertaining from start to finish and this is one of them so. yeah i'm kind of yeah i'm really glad that we get to talk about this one first because like i feel like it is just a case of like it's really good and there's not much to, to say about it um uh i um i do uh i don't know i don't know how much i do think that i, I think lucy lewis probably like a really deserved win um i think spoilers for the end i think she is holding my top spot right now but that might change as we talk it out because it honestly was like kind of close um because like she she is in this movie but she's also like one of um she's like the the i think the the sort of uh revenge list person that gets like the most amount of time but it's also like kind of split up with a lot of other stuff too um yeah so if you've never seen like kill kill bill or only are kind of aware of it uh uma thurman is someone who is only ever referred to as ever like the bride or black mamba and she she used to be part of something called the deadly viper assassination squad she was a deadly deadly woman but then she tried to leave the life and got married and her old boss like bill and the other members of the squad kind of came down and killed her husband almost killed her and she survived her unborn child apparently didn't and then yeah it's kind of she wants revenge she wants to kill bill but first she's going to kill kind of everyone else who was sort of involved in this list um in classic quentin tarantino fashion it is done out of order so when the movie begins she has already killed like lucy Liu, and it begins with her her confrontation of Vivica, Vivica A. Fox's character, uh, Vernita, in her, like, suburban home, in, like, that scene I think is really good, because it helps start the film on an action-packed note, and also just the stuff with her kid, and the, if you're still mad about this in ten years, come find me and, like, try and kill me yourself stuff is yeah, just really... It's, yeah, like, it's a really good first scene for the character. Yeah, it sets the tone. By the end, you understand. You're like, okay, I know who who this person is. I know kind of what this lifestyle is like, and I think I get the rules of this world and how they all sort of relate to each other. And then after that, it well, because then after that opening scene, it goes to mostly chronological. I think it just kind of jumps back and forth between her preparing to go to Japan and then the kind of immediate aftermath of 
yeah, the massacre at the chapel and the four-year coma and and all that stuff that leads to her going after Oren. Um, yeah, there's not much to to say about this one, unfortunately. It's just really, it's really good. I really do want to watch volume two. Um, yeah, because of uh, because of work and at camp kind of creeping up too. I've not had a, I've not had a super lot of time to kind of watch extra movies. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll figure it out. We'll sneak it in there. Um, I mean, I can probably talk a bit more because. Well, part of the film as well, when I'm like, oh yeah, and then I go back, is... Oh, Oren is in- interesting, because sort of, in both these films, you get some context for who these people are, are like, wh- what they were up to, and, you know, everyone kind of gets scenes, but other than The Bride, Oren, I want to say, is the one you get the most backstory on. Like, there's an entire sequence dedicated to kind of her rise up in the Yakuza, which you probably didn't understand a lot of, because a lot of it was in subtitle language, and you really see here, it's like Tarantino going all in on like his love of like samurai pictures and kind of martial arts, and all the stuff that really just comes through so lovingly in sort of both those sequences, and then in the big final confrontation that makes up kind of the last big chunk of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then... um well, uh, yeah, and then I guess to to also keep track, um, I think this this character um, is death by uh, popping the top. I guess it's um, <laughs> her it's just her scalp and just completely like flipped off in a really a really cool looking scene uh, where you just see like her brain. Um, this movie is like really like really violent and gory too. Um, I think that's, yeah, that's very Quentin Tarantino. I'm trying to think if that's actually like a, I think a lot of his movies are very bloody. Um, yeah, it, it goes to the genre, it's what he likes. Um, few directors are going to have both like, a, both like a formidable foe who is just like a Japanese schoolgirl, and then also have her like die in a matter where like blood is coming out of her eyes. Like it's... <laughs> And yeah, like, the fighting is just, like, really dynamic and impressive, and yeah. So I, I want to say more, because, like, when we're like, oh yeah, there's not, there's not much you can say about about this film, it's, you arguably can, can, it just goes into our own thing as a- amateurs, where we're like, what do we know to say? Um, mm-hmm, yeah. Oh yeah, like, in terms of, um, yeah, because, like, the, yeah, the fighting in this is absolutely phenomenal. Um, it's like we're gonna it, talk forty minutes about phone booth or whatever, and yeah, then like, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's have barely anything to say on like Kill Bill Volume it's, One. It's very yeah, because it's very easy to talk about sort of movies that are that are mild flubs, but like when a movie's just great, um, like unless unless you kind of go into it like trying to write like a thesis, not much is gonna come to mind because you're just gonna have a good time watching it, um. Like if my if my notes if I only have like four or three notes for like the movie it's probably because it was very good. Um, usually the the movies that end up with like giant paragraphs I've written about it are ones that were just incredibly boring, um, or just have like very like glaring weird parts to them. Um, yeah. Well, 
Uh, I'm trying to think. I'm like, do, do we have more to say about yeah, Kill Bill? But yeah, I think the film does a good job job building up like because if Lucy Liu isn't like the lar the larger scale villain of like Kill Bill, she definitely feels like the big sort of villain of this picture. I mean, to the extent that anyone can be considered a villain, because obviously all of these characters are like brutal murderers, and she's sort of more a villain because Uma Thurman is the protagonist, but you can easily see a version of this film where she's the hero, and I think that's partly what makes her so compelling. Oh yeah, no, this is definitely like a movie like full of like bad people, um, where like the only reason that like some are put on some are like put as like uh like protagonist versus antagonist is like like not arbitrary but like pretty pretty like like there's not if you were to like tally up each side's like atrocities like you wouldn't be left with a clear answer yeah and like again kind of goes to the genres that tarantino is riffing on the sort of like his love of like exploitation fi films and that kind of just the violent, yeah, the violent movie where, like, re revenge thr thriller stuff, and... Yeah, also, I'm really, I'm going through, I uh, just check out the Wikipedia. I'm glad that the character, um, uh, played by, um, uh, Sek uh, Sekichi Sato, um, was supposed to look like Charlie Brown. I thought that was just like, but I thought that was just like, <laughs> I thought I was seeing things. So I was like, there's no way he's wearing like a, a Charlie Brown, like a kimono, but. Oh yeah, is... see, that's what you miss when you have the like. <laughs> yeah, when I have no subtitles. subtitles. Yeah, exactly. I just had to, I saw that he kind of looked like it and I was like, oh, apparently like his, his character's name is Charlie Brown. So that would have been a dead giveaway. Um <laughs> Also, I'm glad they went all in on the crazy 88, having 88 people. Just... Yeah, no, that's really, really good. Um, but, yeah, is there anything else you want to say about Kill Bill? Just... Um, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to see if there's any more. It's definitely, the wiggle your big toe scene is definitely a lot weirder once you learn a little more about uh, Quentin himself. Um, like certain angles in that scene are definitely, are definitely intentional. Um, and I get, that's kind of the trade-off you get, I guess, for, uh, for a really, yeah. really good movie. Look, and also the bride is a character that he and Uma Thurman came up together. They both kind of have story credits on this. Like, I think there's something in the credits where it's like story by like Q and U. And yeah, I think sure Quint Quentin was the big voice for the wiggle your toe sequence. Yeah, exactly. You can tell where his his uh his toe prints were. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um uh, no, Yeah, but Kill Bill's good. People should watch it and maybe you'll have more to say about it. Yeah. Listener. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You give it a watch and uh definitely see what see what you think about it. Um I wish there was more uh, animated scenes, because um, that was yeah. just like a really cool thing that just is just for the one scene. But I guess it's better that it's there in the small bit than not at all. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Well, so with that, I think we can move on to uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which 
I believe is the f- first kind of full-on horror film we're covering for this, except for like the Scream episode. Like, yeah, and oh, because we're doing this out of order, we also have the Ring. Um, in two thousand. Oh right. Yeah. Yeah, but okay. Uh, yeah, we haven't talked the Ring yet. Yeah. Oh, that's not really in the lore of the show. Uh, no, but in in actual real time. Yes, I'm pretty sure. I'm just um unless you consider Bride of Chucky to be in like the horror movie oh, yeah. genre. I guess Bride of Chucky was that and some might also say about the and some could also say that about like The Cell or Hannibal, but or maybe even Sleepy Hollow. So we've definitely danced around the horror genre and yeah, now we get to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. A film that, uh, having not recorded the Ring episode yet, I can say is a much, it's definitely not as good a movie as the Ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Like, it's so, like, um, I guess, uh, cliff, cliff notes of this movie is that it's essentially just a couple teenagers, um, are just kind of messed with by like a hillbilly family, of of wacky characters and like one sort of main guy the leather face is sort of like the um the uh like sort of i think his fate has a weird skin condition and he's clearly also like not okay um but it like it's weird because it I, I assume these are like these are vaguely based off like a real thing right like I don't know how much how much like vagueness there is there, but like there is they're at least like basing it off like something, right? Well, this specifically is a remake of the nineteen seventy four film, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, okay, that's good. Um, so you did not know this was a remake. I did not know. I I probably if I sat down and thought about it I might be, might be able to figure it out. And that that's good cuz like I know Leatherface is like It gets name drops in Scream 4 when they're <laughs> listing all the horror remakes. <laughs> I thought I guess uh, this fits with you thinking James Bond only had like six or seven movies yeah, in it. I if if in Scream 4 I assume there was like the taint chainsaw ma- I thought I assume there was like Massacre 2017 or something like that. Um, like, I assume that there was, like, a reboot after this one. Like, for all I knew, this was the original one. And I'm glad that there is, like, a more original one. Um, because this one, like, isn't super great. Like, definitely not worth, like, creating, like, a horror icon around. But the fact that it's, like, the fact that there's a movie before this that probably is, like, clearly, like, left some kind of impact in its own way, um... Because like it, it's Leatherface is like a known guy now. He's in a, I think he's a character in Mortal Kombat uh, X. Um, like he's clearly like some, he's clearly an icon, and you wouldn't know that from this movie because this movie is like, it's just ah, it's a little, it's a little lame. Um, I guess what what were, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah. Um. Sorry, I'm still reeling from the fact that you did not know this was a remake to one of the most famous horror movies of all time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was watching it, and I was watching it like, wow, this is like, I guess, like, horror fans, like, don't have the highest of standards. Like, if this is, like, an icon. (laughs) Um, Leatherface himself isn't bad. It's just, like, I don't know. This movie... 
I don't think this movie I think wants to probably be a little gory, kind of like a a um it's weird. We kind of have two movies on this list. I would say this and um Phone Booth are kind of like <laughs> slightly worse versions for different reasons of like the Saw movies. Um and like it's weird. I think the most like the cre- the gore the worst part of this movie, like the per- part that like makes like my makes me cringe, makes my sin crawl, is just the scene where like the guy's like scraping his nails on the wall, like trying to like when he's being carried away, and like there probably should be worse stuff than that in the movie, but unfortunately, it feels like it feels a bit neutered in certain scenes. Yeah, it is a film. Um, I think this movie is okay. Like, you can't go that wrong with the con- concept of person who wears other people's faces walks around with a chainsaw, like, killing folks. Like, the, the 1974 version is incredible. Um, it is a movie that it's largely set in the daytime. It's, like, dirty. It's grimy. A, a big issue with this is, ultimately, it is a film that ends at night, which is, I think, kind of detracts a bit, because suddenly it's dark, and it's a bit harder to tell what's going on. Um, especially when they're running around an already dark house. Like... Yeah. And it's weird. I feel like this movie, it has, like, a kind of interesting angle near the beginning. Um like the girl like shoots or shoots herself um and like i thought they were like because they also were like smuggling weed um and i thought that was going to be like an interesting plot point that like because they have all this like weed like they can't go to the police about something um but then they like they just completely drop that immediately like the main character i don't remember any of the characters names um the sort of main of the three somewhat generic white guys um like throws it into the woods and like it's just never it never it's like that could have been like very interesting um and then they had like a second chance with like the the cop um like being like part of like the family and kind of corrupt but like i feel like they played their hand a bit early on there where like there could have been like a really good scene where like they think that they're safe but like they're actually just being messed with even more but like I feel like with that character they played that hand immediately and there's like no there's no build up at all for that like reveal. But yeah, this was a movie. Actually, I don't want to say that the original teens in the Texas in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre were that memorable cuz it is a thing. Uh this is a film that actually got kind of a scream style legacy sequel earlier this year in a movie that many people hate i think is pretty good but it is something that kind of brings back the survivor from the original 70s version uh sally it's not like the same actress but they're like oh yeah this is sally and does kind of expect you to act sort of like it's a big deal and where unless you're like super in on the franchise you'd go oh yeah sure like this is a person though what that movie does winds up being good where it's like she's 
It kind of is like a sequel thing, thing where it's like she's been waiting her whole life to like have a, another rematch with Leverface, and then Leverface does not even seem to remember her. Which, <laughs> yeah. yeah, makes that tracks. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, because that's also the the thing. Like, I think you know, obviously they are playing Leverface here. He, he's doing a good job, but there's also, as far as like villains go, the things that make Leverface iconic isn't that he's like some talkative guy who like is really you know memorable beyond the fact that he's this big I mean he's memorable because he's like a big hulking dude who wears other people's faces and like when he's wearing like that that one guy like Eric, Eric Balfour is the actor's name and around this time he used to be on like 24 so like I I was very familiar with it, but when he's walking around with that stretch face, it, it's so funny, and it's a thing where you're like, yeah, like, it's... Yeah. <laughs> like, that's why people enjoy Leverface. Yeah, and, like, I think it also plays on the... He's very similar to um, to Ghostface, and that they both have face in their name, um, but also in that, like, he's not, like, a... Um, like, in sort of in the same vein that, like, Mike Myers and Jason are, like, they walk slow but they'll like they'll get you both like ghostface and leatherface are like they're very like they're very visceral like they're they're scrambling um which like makes it like very like makes like the chase scenes like very very scary yeah whenever he's chasing people it's like really intense um also you know Je- jessica beale does a like all right job in this but this mostly reminded me of like the bojack horseman joke where it's like where Jessica Biel is someone who just does not do not have the career it seemed like they really were like pushing her to have in the 2000s like yeah it's really tough like um yeah this movie it's it oh because like I don't is in the original is like the is like the the Leatherface family the 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 Hedwits or the Hewitts um are they like a big part of it, or is it just Leatherface? Um, they're like a decent part, size part of it. Yeah, like they're, yeah, they're definitely there. Um, it's wait, what? yeah, it is kind of a yeah, it's kind of a thing where I I feel yeah in the movie I'm trying to remember, but you you might even make the meet them before um, or maybe not before. Yeah, because this is basically like a a remake, except um, in the original film, the hitchhiker who joins at the beginning is like a is like a guy, and he's kind of in on it, and they like push him out of the van. It's not like the beginning of the this movie where like the yeah where the hitchhiker's like this just traumatized person who who winds up kind of just just sort of taking her own life like. Yeah, and I guess to give this movie like props, like I really do like that initial scene. Like it helps it gets the ball rolling like really fast. Um, one scene that is um, so there's the character that kind of looks like a like a hillbilly Luke Skywalker. Do you know what I'm talking about? If I say that, he's he's got like a, he got his leg cut off and he's like hooked up. Yes. Oh yeah, like one of, like like one of the teenagers. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I think yeah, one Andy. Of the, one of the goofiest scenes in this movie is like where um I think it's Jessica Beale, like the main the main person. Um like I think like kills her to like put her put him out of his misery. And they play like kind of like big epic like Star Wars Marvel movie music. And it's just really weird and out of place. Um it was just a very like it was a very like weird tone for this movie um, oh yeah it's supposed to be a big emotional scene um and then it just does not really land at all partly because it, it's crazy that he spends like 40 minutes on like a meat hook that is booby trapped <laughs> just yeah it's it's really really strange um this movie, I think another thing I'll give it credit for, and I think you, you pointed out earlier that it's a shame that it gets so dark near the end, is that this movie is very, like, gross-looking in the first uh, bit, for like, in a good way. Like, everybody's, like, so sweaty, like, the house is disgusting, it's really unnerving. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, by the end, where everything's, like, dark, you kind of lose a lot of that, unfortunately. Yeah, and part of what makes that original movie so special is it's, like, grimy sunlight horror, and then this film, I'd, like, when it's in night, it can just be, like, your, your like, run-of-the-mill slasher flick. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I do like the scene where, like, um, near the end, uh, where you think um, Jessica Biel's, like, hot-wiring the truck, but she's actually hot-wiring, like, the cop car. Like, that was cool. Like, that got me. Um like that was a pretty neat uh neat one. Um yeah, the stuff of the evil sheriff is like is all pretty good, especially when like she just runs him over. And... Yeah, that's like a really good like cathartic thing like um yeah. Uh <laughs> one also part that's like in a similar vein to like the the big sort of uh big sort of like mercy kill scene um that is just something that kind of falls a little flat is like the framing, like some, not really, but like a kind of framing device at the beginning and ending of the film where like it's like a cop doing like a, like a recording in a house. Um, it, it felt like really lame and unnecessary. Um, I thought it was going to be something that like kept showing up. I thought like throughout the movie we were just going to like, we were going to see like scenes we had, all, like places we had already like seen, but like decayed in the future or something um but like as it stands there's like a beginning part of the movie where there's like a cop in like black and white going like hey like we're checking out this house and then at the and then at the end it picks up right where he left off and then within like five seconds he's attacked by leatherface um just this this movie so he swings at a lot and misses quite a bit um and uh, I'm really glad it's not like I'm really glad it's not the original. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, because that cop bit is not in like the original. the nar- The narration kind of at the beginning is in the yeah. is in the original. I want to feel that was like pretty close, but yeah, I like the original that, movie. Yeah. yeah, but basically, the original movie there is in the end. The final girl, Sally, it's escapes and. It always ends with them kind of like driving away, and yeah, it is like Leverface just swinging his chainsaw around and frustrating, which this movie does, but then they're like, well, we'll just end with another little scare, because it's so the 2000s, and, pe- and people need that. Um, this is, 
Actually, this isn't that much longer than the original, but it is, like, an additional, like, 15 minutes, as opposed to the original, which is, like, a lean 83. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Also, when you had asked, before I had to, like, explain to you this was a remake, when you had asked, like, if this was based on anything, um, the character of Leverface was kind of in... And some details were inspired by the crimes of this murderer, Ed Ed Gein, but the plot of it was, like, fictional, so... Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's what I kind of assumed when, like, there's a big blurb saying, like, this is, like, vaguely based off, like, real events, and, like, I assumed that there was a guy who, like, killed some people. Um, yeah. Yeah. Also, I think they gave him more family members for this one that... Possibly that he had in the sequels. I've never really seen sort of, the sequel to the ori- original, so it's possible they added to the lore, because in, in the beginning, it's mostly there's a couple extra members of his family, but then there is, like, a very famous dinner scene that involves Leverface dressed as, like, a woman, and the hitchhiker, who I think was, like, Leverface's brother, brings down this, like, really old, like, body that seems like a corpse and then you find it's a living person who's like their grandfather okay yeah i do i do weirdly enough i do know about the the dressing up part because that was one of his um optional like cosmetic skins in the mortal Kombat game um (laughs) (laughs) so you were just waiting for that and then you're like oh that must have been a deleted scene (laughs) (laughs) exactly i was waiting for it to show up um yeah yeah no i i yeah, no, so there's there's the original one, and then how many sequels were there for the original kind of set of um, TTCM? Um, I believe there, it, yeah, I believe, yeah, they're saying this is the fifth installment in the franchise, so there was, like, four movies, and then this, and then, oh, okay, yeah, so there was... The first two movies, which were, like, Toby Hooper, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Then, yeah. Oh, and they were 12 years apart. Then Leverface, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, was 1990. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation, was 95. Then there was this one. Then they made... Then after that, they made a prequel film, The Beginning. Then there was Texas Chainsaw 3D, which I think was, like, a sequel to one of the originals, maybe. Then they they made a film recently that was just called Lover Face. Assumably that's just another prequel. And then there was this new one, the Netflix original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So Man, they have made lot. like nine of these in total. No, yeah, because yeah, de- the family stuff in this movie definitely feels like they're trying to cram like four movies of characters in a very like limited spot. Um Cause like yeah, cause there's so many by the end that like really don't get that many scenes. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess I guess to kind of uh kind of talk about uh, a little more focus on like Leatherface, like the character. Um, yeah, this is our our first but presumably not like last sort of like horror movie i think i know we have jigsaw coming up and then probably a couple more later on um 
Yeah, I'm glad we kind of did Scream Week, so I have a good, like, barometer for stuff like this. Like, I really like them. Um, like, it is it is very, very scary. Um, I recently, for the first time ever, did get to handle, like, a chainsaw. Um, and they are not very easy to swing around wildly. So that is a, a very, very scary thing. Yeah. Yeah, the character itself is good. The the performance again, it's largely the physicality, but it's a good point where yeah, it probably is pretty hard to just swing a chainsaw around, um, and yeah, run around. I also have to assume that that is a very hot costume. Maybe for that's why part of it was at night, just for um, the sake of not having him like, because he had to have been boiling. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you have any more uh, final thoughts about The Chainsaw Massacre? I'm assuming 2003. Um, no, I think that, yeah, no, that should be about it. It's, yeah, go watch the original, and then this one is, it could be worse, is what I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's fine, it's perfectly acceptable, especially if you don't know the original one exists. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it is something that I, like, I'll need to watch the original to kind of get a good, like, good scale for what this one I maybe does better in my eyes. But as it stands, yeah. um, perfect, perfectly, you know, serviceable, very gross, um, definitely... Definitely, you know, scratches that horror itch if you really, if you really got nothing else to watch. <laughs> wow, what a ringing endorsement. Um, <laughs> and on that note, we can probably go on to Charlie's Angel, Full Throttle. Oh, man. Um, well, what did, what did you think of Charlie's Angel, Full Throttle? I can't believe Demi Moore was a twist villain. Just... <laughs> oh man, yeah, I never saw that coming at all. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, definitely like not super. Even if you didn't get spoiled, um, definitely not like. Uh, it's not um, that hard to not suss that out. hard to suss out. Um, is Demi Moore showed up in Disclosure? Has she ever shown up before, either on our Kiss or Villains? Um, I mean, disclosure. Of course, there's. She had to have been in. She must have been for one of the kisses. I'm near certain. Like that would be. Indecent proposal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Yeah. Uh. Um. So, I love this movie. Um. It is. It is not a very good movie um oh she was also in oh no she wasn't a gold member that's oh, just yeah. a producer role. yeah yeah she um, produced all three austin powers oh wow maybe that's why uh maybe that's why i like this movie so much um no like this i don't know what it is but this movie just like activates a part of my brain and i have such a good time with it um i would say that like Kill Bill has very good action that is very, like, not only is it, like, fan, uh, not only is it, like, amazing, it's also, like, very, like, 
grounded. This movie is the exact opposite, where the action, the action is best described. Um, I don't know about best described, but best for me to be described by like this is the kind of stuff I would like do with my action figures during like little like like action figure like role play demonstrations. Like having like characters fall off a cliff, um, in a like a in like a truck, and then like get into the helicopter that's falling beside them, and then fly that away, um, like that is one hundred percent something I have done a billion times over with like <laughs> my like Marvel action figures and like my I think I had like a Spider Man that came with like a jet, um, and there's something about that that just is. Just, just, mwah. just, I absolutely adore it for this movie. <laughs> yeah. So, like, this is a film, um, I have never seen it. Like, I've read kind of the Charlie's Angels. Uh, I know at least one of them, I'm gonna assume this one, did not have, like, the best reputation. Um, Mick G, who is the person who directed this, has made some films that I don't think are very good. Um, yeah, Rim of the World was like a Netflix one where I'm like, oh, this is awful. Uh, but So I didn't have high expectations, and then, yeah, this is a film. I think you're describing like playing with action figures is a good way to put it. It's, it's like a bunch of just, similar to Lethal Weapon, it's just a bunch of crazy set pieces and disjointed like bits. Like, there's a whole... F- there's a whole thing where Lucy Liu's dad is John Cleese, and, like, she he is led to believe, just by how Matt LeBlanc describes things, that, like, she is, like, a call girl, basically? Like, yeah. and that's just in the movie? <laughs> yeah, like, that's just, like, that is, like, a running bit for pretty much both their characters. Is that the way that, um, uh, is it Matt LeBlanc, right? Joey? Yes. Yeah. Joey. Yeah. Um, the way that he's described... Because he knows about Lucy Liu's, like, secret agenting, but the father doesn't. Um, so, but, like, the way he's describing it, and then the way that Lucy Liu describes it every single time uh, she talks to talks to him, um, it's like, yeah, I just got finished, like, taking out, like, 12 guys, um, you know, like, just cleaning up now, I'm covered in, well, you know, probably know what. Um it's very, very uh, lowbrow, um, but I absolutely love it. Um, <laughs> Shia LaBeouf's also in this movie, weirdly enough. I don't know if that was like, I don't know if that's like the setup was supposed to like set up like a sequel, but he's in it very sparingly. I think he's just sort of, just sort of gets like, like, I can't remember how he's introduced, but I know he's like sort of like quasi adopted by, um, bosley's like family um i'm not sure i even picked up that was yeah very young shia labeouf um and there's also like a joke that like i don't know if bill murray was like a character or something in either the previous charlie's angels or like the show or something but there's like a there's like a joke later on where like the family's like you know we took in like somebody too and like it went well or something like that and it just like sort of like focuses in on a on a picture of bill murray in the background so i'm not sure. Uh, yes so in the charlie's angel tv show the the character originally was john bosley 
who in the Charlie's Angel movie was played by Bill Murray. Um, Bill Murray, who got into some arguments, I think, with Lucy Liu on set and kind of clashed in in a way that maybe now has become a bit more relevant now that, like, the most recent movie he's been involved with has been put on production, like, hiatus, stemming to issues that one of the female cast members has with him. So maybe an unfortunate pattern um but yeah basically he was like i have respect for lucy Liu. i don't think we'd be able to work together again so instead of so he kind of declines and instead they bring in bernie mac as his brother jimmy bosley so that's why like they have the picture of bill okay that's that's much less funny than my assumption that they just put a random picture of bill murray um, <laughs> it's like, you thought the joke was that they had adopted Bill Murray. <laughs> that's what I that was that is so much more funny than the reality. Um, is <laughs> they just had like a random picture of Bill Murray, and that was just the implication. Um, not an out of not an out of left field joke for this kind of movie to make, though. Um, sure, I understand <laughs> why you thought that was what happened. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I guess a quick uh, rundown of the plot is that Kenny said it earlier. This is pretty much just like a disjointed, like action scene, sort of strip teasy scene, then comboed into another action scene. Um, there are characters in this that I assume are from the first movie. Um, there's like a guy who's like, like, gets off on getting a haircut that I thought was like. I thought that was going to get built upon, but he just sort of, he shows up and then he, at the end he dies. So I'm assuming he's from the first one. Yeah, Crispin Glover, who was the dad in Back to the Future, um, his, known for being like, kind of a weird, weirdo, weird energy. Yeah, in the first movie he was one of the villains, this assassin called the Thin Man. And yeah, so they bring him back for this one where the Thin Man is suddenly like, he's more of an anti-hero type. You learn his backstory. Um, But I also had to like, look it up because I'm like, was he in the last one? Why are we getting so much backstory on this guy? Like, why is he important (laughs) to the plot? Because he's like protecting Shia LaBeouf. And then at... And then at the end of the movie, like, he gets stabbed suddenly after making out with Drew Barrymore. Um, famed talk show host Drew Barrymore. <laughs> and then, did you see, this was apparently an unrated cut, but I feel, I feel it's the one that, I think I watched this on Netflix or, or no, maybe I just watched this somewhere, but in the cut I saw, did you see the one where, like, the sign falls on them? Because that was just, like, an unrated. Yeah did see that um yeah because i was i was very confused i didn't i really didn't think that the charlie's angel one was one that was gonna require like prep like plot wise um i thought i would just be able to jump in but yeah like it, it was such a weird I mean, arguably it didn't but yeah yeah i guess if you just just that one character was it was just kind of confusing um but yeah but he kind of pops you're like oh yeah this is hmm interesting character Um, he was yeah he was like really like like fascinating like i I was definitely was like i was definitely very confused i thought we were gonna get like more about him 
but I guess that's from the first one. Um, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Sorry. The plot. Um, the major plot is just that there's these two rings that when put together, like can dox everybody in witness protection program. Um, uh, and <laughs> it's like trying to be like kidnapped. It's trying to be like taken by a bunch of people. Um, and like Demi Moore shows up at the beach and it turns out she's like the big villain after them all along. Cause she, she wants to be like the best angel. Um, and then, yeah, everything in between those moments is just like a wacky scene or like a, or like a sexy scene. <laughs> Um, what, what were, what were your thoughts on like the dirt biking segment? Uh, yeah, my thought was, oh, right. Motocross used to be really popular and you would just get it in movies. Like, yeah, it is a funny action set pieces. There's also like surf stuff later. They go to the beach, like. Just really weird, like, extreme sports theme in this. And then they just drop that for a big fight in Hollywood. Yeah. No, there's a... Yeah, there's, like, a part... And this was... I think this is probably, like, the the goofiest um, it gets outside of the helicopter scene. There's, like, a scene where, like, the person on the motorbike they're trying to get to, like, starts, like, shooting back at them. And there's a portion where, like, they're, like like, a good, like, three feet above their motorbike, upside down, like, firing two pistols at them. And then he, the, the motor, the motocrosser, like, hits one of the angels. Uh, or no, it doesn't, she doesn't hit one of the angels. She explodes the bike, but they, like, the person riding that bike, like, just lands on another person's bike in the middle of the air. And it's done with, like, very obvious CG that doesn't look the past. Um, but I loved every second of that. Yeah, that stuff is fun. Um, yeah. It, yeah. Definitely some good action in this movie. Like, again, not, not like Quentin Tarantino, like Kill Bill action, but still pretty fun. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, the, like, it's very, it is very, like, like, the protagonists almost never get hit, and, like, everything they do is, like, perfect. It's not, like, um, like, something like Rush Hour, and, like, a lot of, like, Jackie Chan stuff. Like, as, as beautiful as it is, it really weirdly also seems, like, a bit clumsy and a bit, like, loosey-goosey, even though I'm sure it's, like, very precise what they're trying to do. Whereas this one is, like, it looks, like, precise. Like, characters are doing, like, their specific move, and, like, they almost never get hit. Um, which is it has its own kind of charm as well. Yeah, that kind of, that kind of thing where the bullets always miss, and it's yeah, it's like why does anyone even bother firing a gun? Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know Demi Moore's uh, character. You know, back in her day, they used guns. Um, the iconic line that everyone remembers. Um, <laughs> what were your thoughts on the on the villain, um, Madison Lee? Yeah, yeah. the villain, it's funny because initially, like, if I didn't know it was Demi Moore was the villain in this, I would have just assumed it was Justin Thoreau, who was, like, Drew Barrymore's ex-boyfriend. Also, don't, you, I think you touched on this, 
it's weird that a big plot in this movie is Drew Barrymore going, oh yeah, by the way, I've been in witness protection the whole time. And then they do jokes where her last name sounds like ass. Yeah, <laughs> Helen is an ass. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just... It is... The, like, this movie is written, like, stupid moments first, everything else fill in the blanks. Um, and that's a great example of it. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that eventually works against McGee, but pretty much works here. But yeah, because Demi Moore, she shows up on the beach, and they're like, wow, you're Madison Lee. You're, you're like a, you're like a legend in the Charlie's Angels agency. She's like, yeah, I know. Then she and Cameron Diaz almost make out. Like, that is the energy of that sequence. Um, that they don't. And then they, and I'm like, wait, is this going to be a running thing? And then it's not, it's just kind of there. But, yeah, I think, because then she, it's another case where she is not in a ton of it, but she's in enough of the third act and, like, does enough of the fighting. We're like, okay, I see why they gave it to Demi Moore, maybe, for, like, the nom. Yeah, um, she also gets a, like, I'm trying to remember if it was her. It might have been, I can't remember if it's her or, like, the, um, the guy that kind of looks like, um, uh, what's his name? Something like one Zamo. What's his name? Um, from Romeo and Juliet and also Moulin Rouge. I can't remember his name. Um, like Seamus? I think so. One second. I'll know. Ex- I know. Wait. Are you talking about Justin Thoreau's character? No. Um... Wait. John Le- uh, Leguizamo. <laughs> um, <laughs> I-, I looked up like Luigi from the Super Mario Brothers movie. Um, of course you did. <laughs> but um, like the character that kind of looks like him, but from Romeo plus Juliet. Um, it's either him or Demi Moore that does like an actually good walking out of the fire scene. Um, I, I need to send you like uh, a gif of like the one from Queen of the Damned. The person you're saying looks like John Leguizamo. Was it like Drew Barrymore's ex boyfriend? I think so. He has um, he's he's like the leader of the group that doesn't fall for like the big uh, FBI sting at the end. Yeah, the uh, yeah, kind of. I think it's just his, is he? I think it's just his hair and is he the hair. one who like gets? Yeah, is he the one who like gets the sign fall on him? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he lands on top of the on top of the weird haircut guy. Okay, yeah. So yeah. you are describing Justin Thoreau, who we will talk about later because he was, oh no, because he was also one of the villains in Iron Man Two. Oh, super neat. Yeah, but yeah, no, like um. Yeah, I completely lost my train of thought of what I want. I think I just wanted to talk about, there's like a really good, like, it's not even good. Um, I, I I don't know. I can't remember how much I went into it of how, like, how upset I was and how bad the walking out of the fire scene was in Queen of the Damned. Because it, it is presumably a not super hard thing. Because um, this movie wasn't even that great, but it's still, it, it's just so effortlessly cool. Uh, but in Queen of the Damned, it's like, it's weird. It's like clearly like edited on top of, and she just sort of blips into existence. Whereas in this movie, they actually walk out of the fire and it's like, 
it's just such a cheap, not down about cheap, but it's such an easy way to make such a cool villainous scene. Oh yeah, always love a good fire walk. Yeah, <laughs> a, a fire fire walking out of a fire to the villain is 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 to a villain what the rain kiss is to a kiss. <laughs> yeah, let's. I wonder if it's just as hard to shoot. Well, I guess sometimes you can use CGI, but yeah, exactly. I yeah, I wonder how difficult it is when like because I assume sometimes it's like actual fire. Like I think at this one it was probably like it, don't, it didn't look like CGI. I think they actually just walked out of it. So I wonder wonder how difficult that is. But as far as the effectiveness on like it's just an easy way or not easy, um, it's just an effective way of doing a making like a really powerful image yeah um but yeah i'll i'll say as far as like as much as i do think demi Moore is like she's pretty good in this i don't know if she's us yeah like when you're looking at the best villains of this year it is one where you're you're like oh is is she in there because of the name recognition like i don't know if she does something particularly memorable enough as a villain where i'm like okay I fully understand why she's on this list. Yeah, no, she's definitely, she's giving like a good performance, but like her character is just, it's it's just kind of like, um, a little lame, uh, in terms of like the writing and characterization of like I just want to be like the best, so I'm gonna kill everybody. Um, like she doesn't get like much like kind of interesting like motivation beyond that. Um, and she's also, like, not really given, like, a lot of, like, if they just wanted to kind of go the angle of, like, she's just sort of, like, like, so motivated just to be the best. They don't really give her, like, a lot of, like, insanely visceral scenes. But I feel like I'm probably asking for a different movie at that point. Um, and I really love this movie just the way it is. Yeah, this is very standard mole stuff. Like, her, they do kind of do a thing with her motivation where it's like, oh... Yeah, where the lesson becomes, don't you see? You could have had a, you could have used a team instead of going it on your own, which I don't think they fully earn. Yeah, um, no, this, this isn't like a movie that earns anything. I don't think, um, like it's, uh, like it's emotional. It, there's definitely like there's like an ending scene where like a bunch of like stuff is tied up, but like none of it has barely any weight um i think cameron diaz character and like her boyfriend like get a puppy this movie has also like so many just like side plots going on um it's really weird um like really like an unnecessarily large amount um because yeah there's like cameron diaz like having, like, the boyfriend that she's... She's not scared that they're going to get married, but Drew Barrymore's character is scared that they're going to get married and she's going to leave the team. Um, there's also, like, Drew, Mar- Drew Barrymore also... Drew Barrymore also, like, in the Secret Service. And then Lucy Liu with, like, her boyfriend, um, Joey. I think his name's actually Jason in this movie. Um, on a break, but they're not on a break by the end. And, like, she's still, like, living with her. And then there's interactions with her, like, father... And then there's also just, like, a bunch of villains, too, um, that are, like, like, there's, like, enough villains for there to be, like, a big FBI sting with, like, four, like, different groups that, like, I think were all quasi-introduced before that scene. 
Yeah, it's a plot that it's both very convoluted and also kind of meaningless. It, it is a movie, I think it's a very entertaining movie, but it's definitely one where it is not wanting anything more out of you than like your immediate gratification at what's happening. Yeah, like there's nothing like to to com- to compare a movie, you know, that definitely should be compared to this one. Um everything everywhere all at once. Um like Jesus. that movie has so much to chew on after you're finished watching it. Like there is so much to think about. Like I I like I honestly like after we're done I want to go see it again, but I I don't have the time and I can't. Uh, but like this movie, there is nothing to chew on in the end. Um, like the second it's over, um, like there, it leaves you with a head emptier than when you went in. Um, but while you're, while you're watching it, it is probably one of like the most fun times I've had watching these movies. Um, yeah. And of course this is the one we definitely talked about longer than <laughs> Exactly. Now. It's 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 a it's a horrible uh horrible paradox. I'm going to need to start watch whenever I watch a good movie, I'm going to have to start watching it twice just so I can have my a a one where I actually like take notes about things. Um yeah. Or uh but do you have anything more to say about Charlie's Angels full <laughs> No. Um yeah, I'm sad cool. it didn't get a didn't get a, a sequel to make it a full blown uh, trilogy. Um, but what are you gonna do? Yeah. Um. With that, we can probably move on to Pirates of the Caribbean: The Curse of the Black Pearl. Um, which, much like Kill Bill, a very good start to finish. Pure. Like, honestly, I think Pirates of the Caribbean is, the original one, is one of the most purely entertaining movies ever made. <laughs> yeah, no, this is, like, very, um, very similar to, not, I don't think it's not, definitely not, like, last, um, last year, but maybe, whenever we did Lord of the Rings, that might have even just been our last recording sesh. Um, that was our last yeah, record, yeah. where this is just, like, there's a reason it's so iconic, it's because this is just sort of a just really fun adventure um i for i i forgot uh first of all i forgot how i had even seen this movie um but a, a second thing is that i i forgot then remembered how super charming uh jack sparrow's like introduction is um like i think we talked a little bit about kill bill about like the opening scene doing a really good job of like characterization um i don't think there's like i don't think there's many better examples of like a characterization as like Jack Sparrow like pulling up on a ship that is already that is sinking and that is completely sunk by the time he's touching land um like that's just it's just it's there's no dialogue it is just just peak um like uh characterization oh yeah it's look we we've talked about before on like Johnny Depp on the podcast I'm a complicated person uh, maybe who is maybe getting simplified a bit too much in the media right now. Um, it's, I think his trial is still going, like his defamation trial is still going on as we're recording this. We're not going to talk a lot about that today because it's not fun to talk about. And frankly, it's just like a sad, complicated situation. But as much as I have complicated feelings for the man and performances he gave later in life, like this is just really undeniable. Like, he is just electric as Jack Sparrow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, like a th- another thing that's just iconic about this movie as well is the music. 
Um, not only like the main theme, which is just like, it's one of those things where like, um, it has just become like synonymous with like pirates and everything. Um, it is just so, it's so good. It's such a fun little, little like ditty. Um, (laughs) it sounds a little bit like the Skyrim theme as well, which is really nice. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's yeah definitely one of the most iconic themes so, yeah. um, of modern films <laughs> insanely catchy um i also like the the music um i the, i feel like i've said this before with other movies that are good movies um i feel like this movie for me like peaks really early but is also like really fun throughout i can't remember i know i said this either last week or the week before but like the sword fight between um between orlando bloom and johnny depp and like the in the blacksmith or like the music is like synced up with like the clings and clangs and just like the just the choreography of it all like that is my favorite scene by far we're like wow that is really really early on yeah like the the music like yeah the the sword play um like the dialogue it's like it's very oh it's just it is it is the my favorite scene from the whole movie yeah that that one's good i'll say i'm a fan of all all the action in this the multiple fights um the final duel at the end where i mean uh, and for the reasons I think Jack, Jack Sparrow works really well as a character is it is kind of like the Han Solo thing where he he's not, at least for the first three films, he is not like the lead. They make him the lead of films four and five is my understanding, which is partly why I don't have as much of a desire to see him. But really, the films are about like Orlando Bloom and Kira Knightley and... He is largely the Han Solo type, who is this lovable rogue, who is largely in it for himself. And even when you're pretty sure he's helping out, like, in in that last scene, when it just seems like he's betraying everyone again, you, there is something where you're like, yeah, he could just be betraying everyone again, before they do the whole reveal where he has, like, stolen the coin so he's able to fight Bar- Barbosa and still be immortal. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like he's a very like unpredictable character, um, which I I really like the the line near the end where it's like, where it's like oh like it's always like it's it's much easier to like, you always want to be facing against like a like a liar or something because like you always you always know what they're gonna do like they're gonna cheat and lie but like it's the honest people you gotta watch out watch out for because you never know when they're gonna do something really stupid. Um, I I really like that that part as well. Yeah, the, there is like some great dialogue in it. Like the, the that one. I'm um, obvious. Obviously, it's like you best start believing in ghost stories, Miss Turner. You're in one. Like, yeah. Oh, like funny story about that line. Um, I think I remember. I can't remember the the content, but I think there was a meme I saw that sort of used that like similar format. I can't remember what it was referencing, but it was like, you better start believing in blank, you're in one. Um, which, like, it's messed up because, like, when they did it, the person, whoever made that, like, they, they like, screamed it. So I, in my head, I always think that he, like, he delivers that line, like, really, like, manically. Um, but he doesn't. It's like a very, like, 
this is like you better start believing in like uh ghost stories you're in one but like i always think that the delivery is going to be like you better start believing in ghost stories you're in one but it's never like that yeah barbosa is not that manic a character um yeah 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 like and um yeah i guess the i guess like I do like Barbosa, but he's definitely like he's one of like the I want to say I want to say like one of the weaker characters in this movie. Um uh like not like he's giving like I think um uh like I think like uh Jeffrey Rush is like giving like a good like performance, but like I I don't know, it just doesn't super do it for me. Wow, it's cuz Barbosa character famously popular enough that they found a way to bring him back in some of the later films despite this film ending with him pretty definitively dying um, yeah i don't know what it is um like i really i don't know like man i i want to hopefully i get a chance to watch more of the pirates of the caribbean movies because i don't know if um how much i like uh uh davy jones um yeah. Yeah. I'll say Barbosa as far as villains go, he is not very flashy, which I think partly is what makes him interesting is he is like he is simply like an evil dude who wants to break this curse and he has a lot of focus and that's something that, you know, it contrasts well with Jack Sparrow who similarly like has clear goals he wants but also is jack sparrow and is gonna get drunk and like be goofy and do all this stuff and it contrasts with barbosa's crew particularly you know there are those two guys who are also kind of there to be sort of the comic relief type villains like yeah and i guess that yeah that is like a neat sort of um sort of lens to look at it through like um, kind of like how we talked with Gladiator, is that um, like Barbosa is more of a foil to Sparrow than like a sort of goofy zany villain, because we already have like a goofy zany like Han Han Solo type character, as you said. Yeah, um, but yeah, I'll say yeah, he isn't as flashy, and even when you get to like it's yeah, like arguably all or a similarly compelling like. Arguably the more compelling character, and this might be a hot, hot take, would be the the Norrington, the, like, Navy guy, because he, partly because he's the one who gets a bit more of an arc. It's, uh, I mean, at least a small arc in that he's willing to, yeah, we'll give Jack Sparrow the head, what day head start at the end. Yeah, like, he kind of, he sort of grows a, a little bit of, like, a, a some respect for him, I guess. Um, yeah, and he continues on sort of through the trilogy where he's still basically a villain, but kind of is a complicated character who by by the end maybe has some remorse for some actions he's taken. Um, yeah, um, yeah, I kind of yeah, I guess I guess the one angle I wish they kind of played up a little bit more, I guess, with the character is like I'm assuming that like part of the curse means that like they don't like they don't really get anything about like of. Uh, from like eating or drinking um because they're like immortal or did i i'm trying to think if i if that was even an aspect of it 
Because I know when he, like, drinks the one thing, it goes right through him when he's a skeleton. But, like, is that... I can't remember. Is that, like, part of, like, the curse? Is that, like, they don't really enjoy food or drink anymore? Or am I confusing with something else? Well, yeah. That's... Yeah, that's kind of the thing, is that... I mean, because they're effectively skeletons, so it's... So, yeah, they don't really enjoy kind of the, the parts of life, which is... Which is why, I think partly why... Jeffrey Rush want like why Barbosa wants to lift the curse so bad. It's so he can do that things again. Um, interestingly, and I I think this f- fits into it, but this Wiki- Wikipedia thing so could be wrong, but suggests that Fravinsky approached Rush for the role as he knew he would not play it with attempts at complexity, but with a simple villainy that would suit the story's tone. But Rush felt he was playing the unsung hero of the film, who only dreamed about lifting the curse and living as a rich rogue. And then, de- so he developed this intricate backstory for the character, which, yeah, which is yeah. funny. Because like, I, I think it, you do kind of have the sense that like Barbosa thinks he is like in the right, though. Yeah. yeah. Though I don't know if he's as fully like, if he feels as fully fleshed out as some of the other characters in this, but. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, like, the thing is that I think I definitely get that from, like, his performance, but I it definitely, I can definitely, like, I don't know if that's accurate, but I do definitely see that where, like, I feel like he was trying really hard to, like, do that for um, Barbosa, but I feel like, like, the script and the plot didn't have, like, a lot of scenes with that, and which I think is probably why it didn't, it didn't super do it for me. I still really enjoyed it, though. Like, this is still, like, this is probably, like, my my one like um minor gripe with an overall like really like amazing product yeah um i think we're both like yeah it's compelling enough though i also see your thing where yeah it maybe not yeah maybe not feeling as like good a character next to the other ones but yeah i, I think yeah compared to like um uh the cure knightley orlando bloom and johnny depp like it's like there's not being the fourth one down isn't nothing to sneeze at, but it definitely gives you like really like stark competi- uh, competition. Yeah, especially because well, Kira Knightley so so dynamic in this. Even if by the end she's a bit of a da- damsel, like I mean, well, she still has a fair bit of a agency, but it is something where yeah, you kind of hope she kind of hope for her to be. Oh oh no, I guess she. Well, she's just a damsel for par- part of it, but then she does kind of take charge, and of course that's a great bit where she is g- going to go help, and she's trying to rally the crew, and they're all like, well, no, we have the ship, we can go, and then <laughs> yeah, that's... the whole thing about the pirate's code, like, being, like, guidelines <laughs> or something, and then, like, the smash cut from her going, so who's with, like, who's with me, like, the- or... Just like some the big rallying moment, and then it's just her alone on a boat as they're all sailing off, and yeah, it's like really funny. And then it makes it that much nicer when the pearl does wind up coming back at the end once. But that's yeah. another good bit too, where Jack's like, "So take me to my ship," and then it's like not there, and it, the next scene is him like in the gallows, about to be hung. Um, <laughs> no, it's really really good like this is just a uh, just like a yeah like you said like a very very charming fun movie start to finish 
Um, yeah. Like, I've got, you know, I, I it's weird, because during, like, the Kiss list, I feel like there was, like, way more movies, there was way more movies that were out there um, that I got to, like, experience, like, new things. Um, but I, prior to this, I had never watched any movies anyway, so it feels like even when it gives, even when it's giving us, like, um, like very, like, popular movies, um, it's been so long since I've seen them, or, or some of them I've never seen, that I also get to experience these sort of, um, these little hallmarks of, a uh, movie history. Yeah, and look, eventually the kind of blockbusteriness of these sort of middle years might wear a little, like, get some fan once it's like, alright, talk about your, like, umpteenth Marvel movie, but especially in this era, sometimes it's just good to talk about some, like, really good, really iconic films from the 2000s, like, this, I'm really excited for our Mean Girl talk next week, like, it's gonna be great. Yeah, I think we're, um, I remember I recently was watching, like, a really neat YouTube video about, like, music and about, like, how you really shouldn't compare. Like, people often say, like, oh, like, music, like, like in, like, the 80s and 90s was really good and, like, music now is, like, kind of, like, oh, it's, like, all, like, poppy music. But, like, it's it's because, like, you're comparing literally, like, the best stuff that, like, survived all these years and, like, there were probably millions of bands in like the 90s or 80s that just nobody remembers them at all and i feel like we're we're starting to hit that time period where stuff in the mid 2000s we're starting we're gonna we're gonna be coming up on the time where like we're gonna see the movies that are still super entertaining like two decades later two or three decades later um yeah yeah i'm really excited for that time yeah and i feel like yeah pirates of the caribbean is going to be something that like like, I feel like there are going to be, like, some things that are going to be like, you know, this was good when it came out, but I don't know if it holds up. But I feel like Pirates is one of those things that is, like, a very timeless fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And it definitely holds up. Um, do we have anything more to say about The Curse of the Black Pearl? Um, no. Um, I wish these movies put little numbers in their names as well. Uh, it makes it very confusing for me. Because I thought we were doing, like, I, when I read this earlier, uh, like, before we started this week, I thought it was, like, the third movie. Because that sounds like the thir- a third movie title. Like, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> um, but uh, that's my only critique of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Put, put numbers in your, in your, um, in your titles. You can even use Roman numerals if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, and speaking of numbers, so I'm going to talk about phone numbers. That was a really good transition <laughs> to talking about phone booth. Man, Keith Sutherland, second time on the list, second time on a, trying to snipe people. Um, this time, not racially motivated. Um, and also, possibly not him? Um in the actual like sniper's nest uh depending on like how deep his thing goes um i'm pretty sure it's him he's in like the last scene in no person. i i can <laughs> sorry to explain um quick rundown of the movie um a guy answers a phone uh like a payphone, and the guy like starts toying with him like a la jigsaw being like oh you you're you're a bad person so i'm gonna torture you um and he's like in a window and he has like 
hollow point bullets and can like snipe people without like making a sound and like not leaving like a like a very clear trail um but spoiler alert at the end of the movie they find a guy in the in the actual like sniper's den that isn't Keith or Sutherland um so in my in my great phone booth um phone booth uh lore mind i was like okay what if the pizza guy was up there the whole time getting instructions from Keith or Sutherland about who to shoot um that's my one working phone booth theory well, then Kiefer Sutherland like shows up in person. Yeah, no, sir. I I still believe he's like the he's like the mastermind behind it. But I wonder if he's the person behind the gun, or he's the per or he was giving orders to someone behind the gun. Uh, yeah, I think the I get what you're saying. The only issue is that relies on then the pizza guy to be a really good shot, um, which he might be. We don't know it. Uh, that's yeah. true. We don't know the inner <laughs> life of the pizza exactly. guy. Exactly. Listen, I. We need a... I don't think this has a sequel. Um, we need a sequel. We need access to the lore bible. We need two prequels. Um, <laughs> I want the phone booth universe. Yeah. Um, it's like, So this film is directed by Joel Schumacher, who previously directed Kiefer Sutherland in A Time to Kill, and also did Batman Forever. Um, this film is feels very different from those other two films, in that... It is very pared down. It is very simple. Um, and yeah, it's interesting you bring up the Jigsaw comparison because I watched Saw for the first time today in preparation for our upcoming episode on Saw 2 where I'm like, I have time. I can see the original. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is kind of just a phone booth deal where it's sort of a mysterious man is putting people into elaborate traps to teach them a moral lesson. And then probably kill them. Yeah. So yeah, I I didn't actually realize it. Yeah, it's also Joel uh, Shoemaker. He, I guess he's partially to blame for why Keith Sutherland keeps on sniping people. Um, yeah, yeah, he's good with a gun. Yeah, um, I think he's. I'm sure he just watched Twenty Four. He's like, I was right. <laughs> that guy does know how to shoot. Oh, <laughs> huh. yeah. Um. I guess, yeah, I, I'm really glad that you have the perspective of also watching, like, Saw. Um, what, what was, I guess, what was your thoughts of this movie? Yeah, so this movie I had seen seen before. Um, some friends of mine have a now-defunct podcast known as the Sahara Tapes, where they watch kind of forgotten films. Um, I don't think you can listen to any of it anymore, but... They did a phone loop episode, and I was watching along, so I watched it then and enjoyed it. I watched it here and enjoyed it this time. It is a film, um, it is a very simple movie. It's like 81 minutes, including credits. Um, the credits aren't very much, and I think Saw is a really good, really good movie that is kind of trying to do an elaborate mystery. It's like, who is Jigsaw? Who is like this person? There's flashbacks, there's reveals, there's multiple locations. This film is unfolding essentially in real time. Um, other than a couple calls to his wife, it is like entirely in like sort of the phone booth. And well, I guess the thing thing at the beginning, uh, it's oh yeah, 
it's funny that he is a publicist because I am currently in public relations uh, education program. It's so that bit of it is always like amusing to me, and yeah, I think this is just like a really good, really tight thriller. Like the escalation is there. I think Sutherland's really good as like what is basically a disembodied voice, and yeah, I always have a lot of fun with this one. Uh, what did you think? Yeah, I I super enjoyed this movie. Um, this was a very this is a very captivating movie because um, it, it essentially like doesn't like stop. I don't think it. I don't think it ever cuts away from the phone booth, like except to be like like ten feet away from the phone booth to like um, like film like Forrest Whitaker saying something. But like whenever it shows something that isn't by the phone booth it'll do it in like a in like a box around um like our character like i don't think the camera ever leaves our character maybe i think briefly at the beginning when he's on when he's on the phone with people um but like once the action starts like it is very like it's very focused on him um also yeah forrest whitaker is back i think the last time he was uh on this um like on a movie that we were um, talking about i think it was um blown away i think was the last time we saw him um trying to remember i think that would have been the last time um i really like him um i think he's a really really good actor and i like him in this too he plays kind of like the the sort of like uh i don't know if he's like chief of police or um or uh or just like the lieutenant or something but he's sort of like the the main like interaction with like the uh the sort of authority like trying to like calm everything down yeah forrest whitaker is like really good in this really good as kind of the the law enforcement and i think he does a really good job keeping kind of the stakes of the movie where you know you don't think he's off the handle or that he would escalate the situation unnecessarily but you also get that he is very quickly running out of patience with this man in the phone booth who definitely seems like he shot somebody um yeah i also like um it's uh i think this the i think it's um keither sutherland's character could have very easily been um <laughs> very lame um just because it's very much like a like uh like a very much a like society kind of character but i feel like he's like he's lighthearted and like like fun enough that it definitely never gets like too like i don't know if preachy is the right word but it never gets like too like up its own bum i guess about it because like he'll just every once in a while he'll just sort of like mess with uh with stew with colin farrell's character yeah like this clearly is not a movie that is advocating for, hey, um, maybe we should just put characters through horrifying life or death situations to get them to learn to be better. But yeah, it is kind of funny that it's like, oh, yeah, Colin Farrell, have you learned your lesson yet? Um, yeah. So yeah, I found an article about this movie. It's kind of the screenwriter sort of wrote it as, when, yeah, when it was coming out where i guess it was something he had originally written in like the 70s he had kind of like for like alfred hitchcock and he had tried to yeah and you know it had tried to get in production of years it went to all these different kind of people who were attached or 
interested. Apparently at one point, Michael Bay was attached, which makes sense, but Michael Bay's first question was, well, how do we get this out of the damn phone booth? (laughs) (laughs) That's very, very, very funny. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So he soon departed the project. Uh, Mel, Mel Gibson was interested in doing both jobs, like acting and directing, and yeah. And then, I guess, gave some twists that he wound up working into the script. He's like, whether you're acting this or not. And then Will Smith almost acted in it, but then went to do a boxing movie, Ali, where you ought to hit a bunch of people. Um, And apparently Colin Farrell, like, when he did it, because they were shooting the film sort of in continuities, and cause, which makes sense, I think, because it was real time, but basically he was constantly having to recreate this character's emotional collapse. So I guess he was just exhausted throughout shooting because he was always having to get back to that place where he was on the, on an emotional edge. Just, yeah. I mean, it, it it somewhat pays off. Like, I think he's, he's like, he is like, has a lot of work to do in this movie because it is, he really sells it. So, and like, and like, I, it's not something you think about a lot, but like, this movie doesn't have the longest runtime. In fact, it might actually have the shortest. Um, but like ninety-eight percent of it, he is on screen, like needing to pretty much convey the mood of the entire like movie, like through him, pretty much. Um, and like, yeah, he sells it super good. Um, he's also a guy that shows up like a couple times uh, as a as a villain on our list as well. Um, with uh, in horrible bosses, and then coming up really soon, uh, Daredevil, or I guess already happened. Daredevil. That was last yeah. week. <laughs> it's also, very funny thinking of this compared to his Daredevil <laughs> performance, which is incredibly different. Um, <laughs> oh man, I want <laughs> even this year thinking of him as the Penguin. Like, <laughs> wait, was he the Penguin in the Batman? Oh my yeah. gosh, I didn't even know. I wow, it's. Uh... Wow, what a what an actor. <laughs> hmm, so do we have anything else we want to say about phone booth? Uh, no, I think I got all uh all my thoughts out there. It's yeah, it is I was surprised. I thought this one was gonna be like pretty bad, just based off like the the premise, the fact that I never heard it before. Um but I ended up really, really enjoying it. Uh, like doing part two, it's like really like kind of neat present. Pre, um, sorry, neat premise. Um, and then it's sort of um, it's sort of bottle episode type feel. Um, where like it sort of feels like very like confined, very much like the character. Um, yeah, just very, very good. Yeah, no, this is definitely a film. I think is a little underrated underrepresented and i'm glad we got to talk about it because it's just it's it's this really well done really tense thriller and yeah i would love for people to rediscover it because they listened to this podcast and said hey you should watch phone <laughs> exactly um, um yeah and i'm very sorry if you walk away uh from the movie with the thought of uh damn how do we get out of this phone booth <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so 
the time has come to rank these films. Uh, what do you got? Yeah, so these are more or less pretty close. Um, this was a really strong week. Uh, but at the bottom, I think I'm going to have to have the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think it's fine, but I can't imagine it's a movie I'm going to enjoy very much, especially if I seek out like the original, um, which I now know exists, which is very, very good. Um, and then uh, for my slot right above that one, um, these are all these are all unironically very close. Um, but I think right above that one, I would probably put Pirates of the Caribbean. Um a really, really lovely, amazing film. Um, but I think the other films above it just sort of have just sort of an it factor that they're an enjoyable film and they have like a little something extra. Um, whereas the Pirates movie is just a very charming, great film. It probably has more broad appeal, but not very much um, Ben-specific appeal. <laughs> um, and then Freight's Dab in the Middle, I'm going to have Phone Booth. Um, we just finished kind of gushing about it. It is a very lovely film. Uh, uh, Colin Farrell, like, giving it his... All all the side characters are also really, really good. Um, I don't feel like anybody's lacking. Um, yeah. And then for my top two, um, I think I will have um, Charlie's Angels uh, Full Throttle with Kill Bill above it. Um, they are embarrassingly close, um, but I think I, I will have to just give it to Kill Bill as much, as much like specifically tailored to childhood Ben enjoyment there is in Charlie's Angel Full Throttle. Um, Kill Bill is just, just an amazing movie. Um, just like so, so stylish, so fun. Um, like I, yeah, just great, great movie. A lot of, uh, variety as well. And how about your movies? Um, I mean, it's mostly the same, uh, switch two movies around on that list. Um, yeah, so at the bottom, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's, look, I want to be on board. I want to be on board for this thing. Like, yeah, I give it a shot. It's just, like, when it comes down to it, it does, does not really measure up to the original, and, yeah. It does not really work on its own either, um, as as a piece. It's just kind of there. Then above that, uh, Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle movie. Like Ben says, it's, like, very entertaining, but yeah, it's, like, it's very messy. It's very male-gazy. I'm like, oh yeah, this is stuff that's gonna persist with, like, Mick G's stuff. This is why I don't really like his films, but I do enjoy this. It's entertaining and fun and, yeah... Then above that, phone, phone booth, just very solid, very good, like, like, Sutherland is doing great work in it, um, yeah, Colin Farrell's really anchoring the thing, like, yeah, Whit Whitaker's there, Whitaker rules, like, yeah, phone booth, um, then for top two will be, um, Pirates of the Caribbean with Kill Bill at number one as well, um, yeah, just two films very close as as i said like two of the most purely entertaining films ever made um like kill, kill bill i think is maybe a bit better like stylistically in terms of like how it impact yeah impacts me on like a that kind of emotional level but parts of the caribbean it's 
I'm cheering for this thing. When, like, Will comes to save Jack at the end, like, I'm cheering, like, it's, yeah, just really entertaining, really fun. Um, It's a long movie, like, it, yeah. that's something we're going to probably <laughs> get into when we cover the head as well. It's, this film is, like, a, oh, this film is all, I think, yeah, it's not quite two and a half hours long, because the next one's two and a half hours long. But it is, like, pretty close to two and a half hours long, and you does not feel that way at all. Yeah, but, that, yeah, yeah. that is something I was, like, really shocked. I I usually don't think that, like, the um the ones that I recognize are going to be the longest, but this one actually was. Um, yeah, usually the longest is, like, it's either some Scorsese thing or it's, like, Lord of the Rings. I did not expect Pirates of the Caribbean to be the longest on this list. Yeah, and the other two are longer. Like, like they like Dead Man's Chest is two and a half hours, and At World's End is a hundred and sixty-eight minutes. Um, a line which, when I was a kid, I'm like, oh, this is too long, and now I'm like, yeah, no, I'm on board for this. But yeah, Kill Bill's still the number one though. Like, just really brutal, really quick. I'm sorry we didn't talk about it better. Yeah. But how did the villain stack up? Uh, so the villains, um, I'm going to have, unfortunately, again, I'm, oh man, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think if, because uh, we kind of talked it out, I wonder if I found to feel a little differently. No, I think I feel more or less the same. So I think, again, um, these villains are closer than I think the movies were um, for me, because like, I think I have, I also have Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the bottom here again, but it's a much it's a different bottom than the movie list because um, I still really liked his sort of like like very frantic like very like scary um, like just like insane performance. Um, then I think above that one uh, I do have the pirates one. I kind of see what they were going for, but I feel like it didn't super do it for me what they were trying to do with this character. But again. Still super enjoyable with the whole movie. And then uh, smack dab in the middle. Um, I think I have um, Demi Moore's character from Charlie. Charlie's Angels. Um, I This one is, is a weird middle spot. Because I feel like it has probably the worst... Um, probably like the worst like motivation. And possibly like not performed character. But like written character. But the action scenes and like the the amount that she brings to the film makes it makes it up for me which grants it the middle spot um and then for my top two these ones again are super duper close um and it's really really tough but i think i do have to give it to um kill bill above uh phone booth um so yeah lucy lou above keith Sutherland. i think i'm agreeing with the mtv voting audience on this one um I honestly, it's really tough. There's not really anything they do wrong. I think for the Keith of Sutherland one, I think if if his message and his like his like thesis was a little less corny, I think he would probably have taken the top spot easily. Um, like he, like it's it's strange uh phone booth reminds me a lot of like it feels kind of like a black mirror episode um but in on that same token it also he his sort of message and everything 
kind of feels like Black Mirror at its worst a little bit, um, where it feels very like pseudo deep, but it's also very fun and like very a very good like uh, vocal performance, like a very good like for someone who's pretty much just a voice for essentially the entire movie. He has a huge presence, but I think I have to give it to Lucy Liu though, unfortunately, or not unfortunately, but. Um, I think Lucy Liu's character is just the, she has all of that and not like a weird um, kind of like corny message weighing it down. You're just mad you had to learn a lesson about valuing like relationships <laughs> and telling the truth. Um, exactly. I honestly, the phone booth held a mirror up to me and I didn't like it at all. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Kill Bill just showed me awesome fights. Uh, yeah, so for me, at the bottom, I will probably put Demi Moore. Like, she's good, I think the character is fine, but it just doesn't really stand out that much. Um, above that, probably, yeah, Andrew Briniarski, Briniarski, however you say it. Um, just, he got, I, I give him a slight edge above Moore, just because... Um, I think the concept of the lover face is solid enough that you you can always kind of coast to, like, fourth place on here's a big hulking guy who wears faces and swings a chainsaw around. Though, yeah, might not get much farther than that. Um, then above that, I will put uh, Jeffrey Rush. Just, yeah, Barbosa, I think, is solid. I think he does bring a lot to the character, um... We're not really going to talk about Barbosa again because he's not really in Dead Man's Chest. Um, but yeah, he is. Yeah, he I think is the villain this movie needs. Um, and yeah, top two. Um, it is close. I think Kiefer Sutherland does a lot as like a disembodied voice in the phone, but ultimately I think Lucy Liu just as a character is a bit. Well, she's more dimensional. Um more imposing and yeah like she fights really cool like it's you just you gotta give it to oren here as as much as i love phone booth so yeah they definitely made the right call on this one the people calling in the gold popcorn is where it should be i think and yeah so that about wraps up 2004 now we come to recommendation of the week what do you got this week ben uh, so this week, um, I think I'm going to recommend uh, a video game um, for any of our uh, listeners that are familiar with the Borderlands series. Um, I do want to recommend what I think is touted as the worst one, um, Borderlands the pre-sequel. It sort of came out between two and three. Um, I really like it. I think it's really charming. Um, it's essentially Borderlands 2, but there's low gravity um, for most of it. Um, I just, I don't know what it is. I find it really, really charming. Um, uh, if you do play through it, though, and you beat it, and you go, wow, that set up, like, a really interesting ending. Um, I wonder how they follow that up in Borderlands 3. They don't. They don't at all. Um, they forget it exists. <laughs> um, which is a little unfortunate. I it's weird because I loved it, and then I and then I, I every once in a while I'll sort of get sucked into the Borderlands side of YouTube, like watching like farming videos and like playthroughs, and it's apparently like the most disliked thing ever. 
Um, and I can kind of see it. It has like a couple fatal flaws. I really like it though. I think it's like worth a play. It's like a fun, like sort of, you know, throw on a podcast and just play sort of game. Uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So this week, I yeah, I'm gonna recommend. It is on net. It is on Netflix. It is gained a bit of a boost in popularity since they've added the there. But it is a Japanese reality show called Old Enough. The premise is it is a show where very small children have to complete errands all on their own. Um, I think the youngest was about two years and nine months, and it the episodes aren't very long. They're, I think the longest is like 13 minutes, but it is just like an addictive show. You watch these kids run errands. It's There's always fun bits. Like The first one is this kind of two two-year-old, ten-month, who is supposed to just run to the store to get some things. And then there's a point where he's like, ah, oh, ambulance. And you, yeah, and you, and it goes over and it's a police car. And the narrator's like, ah, oh, not quite. And the police like, ambulance. Just like, no. And then eventually like, then switches the fire truck, then figures out, oh, police car. Um, there's another one where like a kid is sent home to make juice. And he pulls out the juicer, and then he immediately runs outside and starts chasing a dog around with a net for, like, a long time. It's it's just, it's really funny. It's really cute. It's in Japanese, and yeah, check that out. Um, And now we've come to... That's, yeah. <laughs> that sounds really good. <laughs> it, it is really good. There's, there's one where, like, this girl's supposed to, like... It's a bunch of errands that are going to culminate with her... Like getting like a cab- cabbage and some other vegetable from this garden, where two have been set aside for her in a greenhouse, but instead she goes right to the field and attempts to just like remove a cabbage from the ground by force. <laughs> it's just really <laughs> funny, and it takes a while. And just as the cameraman's about to intervene and help her, she does it. Like it's good. Like, <laughs> um, huh. And. Yeah. So now we've come to the plugs portion of the show. What do you got to plug this week, Ben? Yeah, um, I have my Twitter, um, at GAKGAK, G-H-A-K-G-H-A-K. And then the description of that is my link tree with all of my other socials, including my new Instagram, because uh, my, my regular one, uh, I lost it. Um, but I have... Recent, I now have a new one, but that's all been updated on my link tree. So, yeah, uh, anybody that's been using that avenue won't notice a difference. Uh, oh yeah, your hacked Instagram account. I feel that's been happening to a lot of people. Where suddenly, like I'll see accounts just post like random crypto things or get DMs that sound suspicious, and I'm like, mm, nope, I'm not getting yeah, that. I, I, I was talking to Mac, um, and Mac was like, "Is this one of your famously long bits?" And I'm like. It's actually just a way so I can uh, shill NFTs on the main, actually. Uh. <laughs> it's a way where I can see all your old Instagram posts on my feed for, like, a week. Because uh, you were on my, like, favorites list. <laughs> so they always just move those to the top. And I'm like, yes, I watched looked at this months ago. Um, yeah, I, tr- I tried to get those all done in one day. And I think I did get them all. You, uh, you I didn't did. Be it was just the algorithm. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Anyway. Yeah, but no, I I do like uh, every once in a while I'll just get like a, a random like from one that I posted a while ago. <laughs> I'm like, oh, cool. It's kind of I get a I get a good distribution of um of which ones people like when they're all put out there at once. Yeah. Well, for me, you can find me on Twitter at Like a Wolverine. You can find me on Letterboxd, also on Like a Wolverine. You can find a list of movies we cover for the pod and other stuff. I recently updated my best of all time lists and yeah, all, ki- all kinds of things. Um, And yeah, that, that is about our show. Um, Our theme song is by Matt Samard. Our artwork is by Ben. We are hosted on Friendly Mush. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter at Gold Popcorn Pod, or on Instagram at Pass the Golden Popcorn. I'm gonna start updating that account soon. I promise. Um, I'll update it just in time for us to go on like summer break or whatever. It's <laughs> then if you like the show, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Um, email us at passthegoldenpopcorn at gmail.com. And yeah, all that's left to do now is say what's coming up next week. So. For best villain 2005, uh, our old pal Mags will be returning and to discuss a very fun crop of films. And the nominees are Jim Carrey, Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events, Tom Cruise, Collateral, Rachel McAdams, Mean Girls, Alfred Molina, Spider-Man 2, and the winner... Ben Stiller in Dodgeball, A True Underdog Story. And if you're thinking to yourself, that can't possibly be right. That is the correct thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I guess the like the post-credit scene was just so funny. It just had it had the 2005 MTV audience just on in a stranglehold. Um, um, Dodgeball was very big for a couple years, I will say. Um, I, does it hold up? I don't think so, but we will get into it. Um, next week. Yeah, yeah I, I do. I do remember thinking about it now. I do remember a surprising amount of bits in that movie, and I wonder if if everything I don't remember is really bad. Because <laughs> <laughs> like the the two the two major bits I remember is that like if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball, and then. Um, I do like the bit where it's like, uh, where it's like, I don't know if you've seen like $10,000 like on TV and in movies, but something is lost in the translation. And then he opens up the briefcase and it's just like two small stacks of money. (laughs) Um, like that, that's a pretty good bit, but I, I have not yet watched it. So those might be the only good bits or the only bits that I remember. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, but Well, that'll be a fun one, so tune in then. Until ne- until next time, though, just keep passing that golden popcorn, and ju- just remember, um, be careful about picking up random ringing phones and ringing phone booths. Yeah, you know, uh, you better start believing in phone booths, because you're in one. Cue the Pirates of the Caribbean music. Uh, goodbye everybody bye everybody